Welcome, everyone. This is Jim Sirk with the Medical Sales Nation. In this podcast, we're interviewing Ted Koss. Ted is an executive recruiter. He is with a company called Buckman, Enox, and Koss. And the company's been around for about 37 years, and Ted's been there for 25. They're the largest retained contingent search firm in the nation. And they do everything from medical devices, supplies, biotech, pharma, everything. They do it all. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Ted help me when I was building the sales organization at Advanced Bionics on the pain side, help find the talent that uh, eventually made that a success. And he also helped me over at Intellis. And um, so he obviously knows what he's doing. He's been around a long time. He understands the market. And in this podcast, we really just dive into everything we want to know that's going through a recruiter's head. So sit back, enjoy, and here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Surick. And Charlie Johnson. Charlie, Uncle Charlie. We have, uh, we have a great guest today I'm honored to have on the show. His name is Ted Koss. He's with Buckman, Enox, and Koss, a medical sales and executive recruiter in, in the medical sales environment. And uh, Ted, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, that'd be great. Yeah, hi guys. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to spend a little time with you. Uh, Buckman Enox Cost and Associates is the largest uh, retained and contingent search firm, uh, which specializes in the medical, pharmaceutical, and biotechnology sales arena. Uh, we've been here for about 37 years. I've been here for 25 years. That's it's a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm one of the partners here. Uh, we've got about. 15 or 16 uh, executive uh, recruiters here under one roof, and we do work uh, all across the country and, and really all across the world. That's great, and um, I want everyone to know listening that Ted has worked with me and my team at building the Advanced Bionics Neuromodulation business, so Ted was uh, really, and his, and his team and his company were pivotal in helping us build that organization from scratch, from zero. And um, and then also at Intellis, you helped us out in the beginning, getting that up and running. So your your experience is in startups all the way up to big medical device companies. So you you look at everything, isn't that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we work the full spectrum. Uh, we have a real niche in in working with companies that are startup companies, commercializing, building their first sales forces, uh, emerging growth companies, people that are really getting things going and, and building, you know, uh, past even the first 30 or 40 reps. And then, you know, fortunate for us, a lot of times we've been able to maintain those partnerships and those relationships for years. And so uh, we work with companies that are Fortune 500 companies uh, as well. And we've had relationships with, uh, you know, people for 30 and 30, 37 years. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So maybe we can start out here by just seeing if you could tell the audience what you're seeing is happening in the medical field for sales professionals and managers. I know you you recruit up to the executive level as well. I mean, what do you see going on right now in the medical space that's you know you find exciting? Well, you know, we're really uh, excited about what we're seeing in the past eighteen to twenty four months. I think the industry is really evolving. I think we're really seeing significant growth 
uh, within some of those companies I'm talking about, those those startup and emerging technology companies over the past 18 to 24 months are really starting to take off. I think, uh, you know, Jim and Charlie, there was a period of about probably five to seven years where we just didn't see a whole lot of growth. We didn't see a lot of new devices and new technology and new uh, information being introduced into the marketplace. But really, that's really changed. Uh, in the last 18 to 24 months, we're probably involved with eight to 10 different companies that are really commercializing and building their first sales forces. So it's an exciting time. So, you know, it's interesting because we, we just did a uh, an interview with Josh Baltzell, with, uh, who's a venture capitalist, and he, he shared the same excitement about the startup arena. Now, he has a different perspective, obviously, from a venture capitalist you know, perspective. Um, from your perspective, why do you think that's happening? I mean, what are you hearing from the companies that are, are, you're working with? What are they telling you why all of a sudden this is happening or you know, any insights? Yeah, I think we finally have some technology and some products that really have some meat to them. You know, typically, and I'm sure if you just talk to Josh, you know, a lot of times companies will sell that technology or that product to some of the larger medical companies prior to even launching a sales force. And so I really feel like some of the partnerships we've developed in the last 18 to 24 months, not only, you know, do the companies feel like they have a product of significance, but obviously the investors and the venture capitalists behind it. So, I think it comes back to the technology and the devices and the products that are entering in the marketplace. They're really excited about them and they're not willing. I don't think they're getting the pressure from the investors early on to sell the product. We're seeing significant build outs and, uh, and, and we're lucky to be part of it. That, that's you really know, Ted, interesting. Jim, excuse me. Ted, sure. uh, I have a question about that. The, uh, you know, when you talk about the big, the giants scooping up, technology companies, you know, before they even have a product in the market uh, and that uh, you see an emerging aspect of creating their own direct sales force and then trying to build that out uh, because of uh, what reasons would you see that? Well, I think that the venture capitalist or the investors must feel like there's got to be a significant profit to be gained by being able to really build out the sales force mm-hmm. and, and hopefully reap those profits for a number of years before actually selling. Um, I think that's got to be the reason. They've got to be excited about right. these products. I think there's been a lull in new device and new products up until the last 18 to 24 months. I think we're seeing that venture capital money, that private equity money come back into these products and into these companies. And now we're starting to reap the benefits and see the growth of development of new sales forces. You well, know, that's great because the, you know, what, what I hear from, you know, I used to be with surgical bought by Tyco bought by Covidian and then, and, and then of course Medtronic, a lot of people are not happy when they're bought by a giant company. Uh, they just can't, they have a startup mentality perhaps, and in the big company, they kind of get, you know, lost in the shuffle. Do you see that as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's really tough right now because if, you know, if you're a mid-sized company, then you're prime for acquisition, right? Right, right. And so what you see is people that come up in that environment, they're excited about building a team. They're excited about being part of a team, launching a new device. They get to the point of a mid-sized company and then the acquisition occurs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're trying to blend two or three different cultures you know, and you lose kind of that that edge 
uh, in regards to really making things happen. That's a tough transition for people, but unfortunately, that's part of what's happening uh, within, you know, more the mid-sized companies. Um, and it's just, uh, it's part of really, you know, what's happening right now in the market as well. Sure. You, you know, what's interesting is that you know, we've done a podcast and we've talked about culture and changes and that people have to realize you go to a startup and that startup may, may only, if you're successful at, from a commercial standpoint, be there for two to four years, you get acquired, that culture changes, right? And that's just, you have to go into it with your eyes wide open that that's going to happen. So you're building this team, you got this camaraderie, but you get acquired, you're going to take on the culture of the company that acquired you over time. And that's just the way it is. And absolutely. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. That's right. That's right. So, okay, you talked about mid-sized companies. You know, I just read an article. Yeah, I don't know if it was on Yahoo Finance or not, but they were talking about uh, mergers and acquisitions and investments in healthcare and how obviously these large, you know, the J&Js, the Medtronics, the Striker, Striker is on a tear, you know, buying up companies. But you have some mid-sized companies. They're saying that they're going to start participating in some of those acquisitions as well. What are you? Do you? I know you probably do. You work with mid-sized companies. What are they doing? What are they trying to do differently or, or new when it comes to looking for sales professionals? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's there's two schools of thoughts these days in regards to what kind of people are the best people to hire. Um, and, and I'm dealing with this with a couple of the companies we're building out right now. Companies will come to me and say, boy, Ted, we've got a new product we're bringing to a marketplace. I really need people with relationships. But the problem with that is sometimes people have had relationships for too long. They've forgotten how to sell. <laughs> so, we're, so I'm really seeing a trend you know, within both the startups and, the, and, and even the mid-sized companies on hiring people who remember how to sell. And so it's very important if I'm a sales rep or I'm a director of sales or a sales manager in today's environment, I've got to make sure that I remember how I got to where I was and not just because I've got a relationship with a few key physicians or a few key hospital executives or the C-level. I think, you know, yes, you can take those relationships with you. You can introduce, you know, a new product or a new software or a new technology to them. But I can tell you what, in this competitive environment, pricing, contracts, all the other things that go along with this, don't forget what got you there. And what got most of the people there was they understood how to sell a service or a product or whatever it is. You know, Ted, that, that is really interesting. I think I want to hit on two points on that. The first one is, is what, what has caused companies to think about that? And then I want to go back to where, when you and I were working at Advanced Bionics and what we, how we attacked it. Um, in relationship to this to this this concept, why are companies suddenly realizing that they've got to get back to this selling approach versus relationship? Well, because of the environment. I mean, once again, I think the the the, the pricing constraints, the 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 technology piece. You've got to be able to sell based upon clinical outcomes. You got to be able to really. Uh, prove that your product is the best product in the market, you know, just because you've known a physician for 20 years, that doesn't necessarily in this day and age, I know it may have 15 years ago, but in this day and age, it doesn't automatically guarantee success uh, within your next role. And, and I think people lose sight of that. And so companies struggle when they're trying to develop their sales force. It's very easy to hire someone you've known for years 
And there's nothing wrong with that, but I always recommend to, to my vice presidents of sales or, or my directors, you know, at least look at the whole market. If you're going to interview for a position, you know, yeah, you're going to have internal referrals. You're going to have people you've worked with in the past, but you've got to balance that out with external recruiting of the other talent that's in a given market, because if you don't, you're, you're selling yourself short. And, it, and, and that's where we advise our clients. I think that's, I think that's, you know, incredibly great advice because if you get all like-minded people in the same sales organization, then you're never going to learn. You're never going to grow. Your, the creativity just dies because everyone's thinking, well, what we did 10 years ago is going to work today and it doesn't. So I think that's great. When when we worked at Advanced Bionics together, it was it was interesting. Now we're talking, you know, 2003, we, we decided that we were going to go after um, non-medical sales professionals along with some medical sales professionals. And people thought, you know, that was a crazy move at the time because you're bringing out, we were bringing on business to business folks, you know, guys selling and gals selling, uh, Pitney Bowes, FedEx, um, some pharma reps, one or two years medical sales reps. Do you see that as something that is um, starting to take hold as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing, we helped a company uh, probably about 18 to 24 months ago launch a, a brand new product into a space. And they had the opportunity to hire specialized relationship individuals. They had the comp program in place. They could have done that. But the VP of sales came to me and said, I want to do something different. I want to teach these people our core values on how we want to go about our selling process. So I'm going to hire B2B people. I'm going to hire kids, as he would call them, sure. you know, three to five years of experience, document a track record of success, looking for the next step. And we're going to teach them and really groom them and develop them within our culture. Uh, that way they have, they have no bad habits. You know, we can really, they have no, you know, pre preconceived notions of who they're going to call on within a given territory. You know, when, when, when you've been in a city for years and you've been calling on the same physicians within the same specialty for years. Uh, and then all of a sudden you go to a new company, you know, you have all these notions of who's going to do business with you and who's not. And, and by going to that B2B model or that up and coming model uh, of individuals who are trending, you know, from a career standpoint, they don't have those perceptions of who's going to do business with them. They're going to walk into to every physician, every hospital, you know, every CIO or whatever the product is, and they're going to call on them. And that's what the trend, I continue to see at every level. I'm not saying there's not a role for the people that have relationships sure. and years of experience. They do too, but I'm also seeing this trend of hiring people and really teaching them and developing them and training them. What you've real, what what you're sharing with us, Ted, is that what we've talked about on a lot of our podcasts is the market is changing, it's evolving. You know, the audience has heard this number of times in different perspectives. We talked about you know Josh and his perspective and his advice to sales professionals has really become a student of the game. And for us that are kind of the old dogs out there that have been doing this a while, we have to rethink and become new students of the game. And and what you're hearing is like, uh, you, we want people who are going to learn, who are going to come in and take on our new culture, who are going to learn the way that we want you to sell and how we want you to go after new doctors. And I think that's really important because for the folks listening, because 
by doing that, you're 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 investing in your personal growth, and you'll be you'll have more to offer. And and I think what this goes into that I'd like to ask you about is that because we as salespeople, we always want to talk about our success and it's on that top line number and the relationships that we have. But it sounds like those companies are looking for more of a a how than a what and like how you're doing it. Do, Do you see that as being a part of it as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously we want top performers, But I think companies look at exactly to your point, how did this person actually make this happen? You know, what I'm finding is uh, the VPs of sales and the directors, when they're hiring, interviewing is becoming a little bit more sophisticated, you know, than what is what it was 20 years ago. You know, we're individuals heading into an interview. You you can't go in with this gunslinger mentality uh, that I have all these relationships and I've done this for 25 years and and I'm your guy. that's not going to work right. in this day and age. And so really, you know, when when you have people that are the top performers, you know, these companies really want to get into, well, you know, well, how did that person make this happen? You know, did they, you know, did they inherit a fantastic territory and really the numbers just kind of fell into place? Or or what did they do differently uh, from a, maybe a, a beyond a work ethic standpoint or, or exactly how did they make this happen and why is it successful? Yes. Top line revenue production, let's face it, it's extremely important, but, but companies are trying to figure out how and why their top sales reps are really behind the scenes driving that business. Yeah, and so now just taking another step back, when you're, when you're talking to the new companies that are looking, the startup companies mm-hmm. that they're looking for their new sales force, are, how do you have to prepare that sales rep who might have seven, eight, 10, 12, 15 years of experience, do you have to prepare them differently than somebody who is, you know, maybe has less than five years of experience for that opportunity? Absolutely. I mean, I think at every single level from a vice president of sales to a director, to a person interviewing for a regional manager, you know, to a a, a medical device person all the way down to B2B, you know, there's different things that everyone has to be aware of. And, and, and I think it's important in this day and age that if you're working with a recruiter, really, you know, if you can, get the recruiter on the phone and really find out about the individuals that you're going to be interviewing with. I think it's a very important, in this day and age, all the information in the world is out there, you know, between, you know, LinkedIn and, and all the research you can do on a company's website. It's right there in front of you. So those hiring managers, they're expecting you to come in prepared. The day and the age of you walking into an interview and not knowing about them, not knowing about their hot buttons, not knowing about what they're looking for, not knowing about the culture that they're developing, you better be ready for every one of those hot buttons because if you're not, someone else will be and they'll get the job. Yeah, no, that's great. So you also, so with that, not being prepared is a mistake. What are some of the other biggest mistakes today that we make as, as you know, sales professionals, regardless of the level that we make when we go into these interviews, taking not being prepared as one, are there others? Oh, it's a classic. The, uh, and, and people will do this at every level. We see it every day. They'll come into an interview and talk about what this opportunity is going to do for them and what this company is going to do for their career and how excited they are to, be, uh, to have the opportunity to interview and maybe to come on board. They never once talk about what they're going to bring to the company. 
you know, they forget that in an interview, you know, it's a two-way street, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to sell yourself. And so sometimes you get people, you know, they're just they're just so engaged about having the opportunity to sit down with the company and what it's going to do for them. They forget to talk about what they're going to bring. Sure. And so that's a mistake. And I see it at all levels. I had an individual yesterday uh, interview with a, a telemedicine, telemedicine connectivity company we're working with uh, for the vice president of sales role. And he did exactly that. This person has 20 plus years of his experience, 10 plus years of a VP of sales. And he was so excited about this emerging growth company that all he wanted to talk about with the CEO is what this opportunity was going to do for him and never talked about what he was going to bring to them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So now do you, now do you have to coach that beforehand? Are you providing that advice and yet it's still being ignored? Yeah, you know, sometimes the congregation doesn't listen, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just, it's part of, you know, human nature. Uh, you know, sometimes you can spend, you know, a few minutes and really give an insight to individuals about what the key hot buttons are going to be of the people they're going to be meeting. Uh, but sometimes they don't absorb it. And, uh, and the people that really, if they could find a, a recruiter that they really trust, that really understands the industry, that can really give them insight to the best opportunities in the country, you know, make sure you kind of lock into that person and listen to them and what they have to say prior to you kind of walking into that interview. That, that's great advice. That's great. So on the flip side of it, you know, companies, we make mistakes as uh, the, the interviewer. And companies are doing, you know, they, we make mistakes. So what are the biggest mistakes you see companies make? And can you prepare a rep for that? You know, say, hey, if this happens or that happens while you're in the interview, don't worry. Just keep plowing through. Well, the biggest mistakes I see companies make, especially at the emerging growth and startup level, is they hire their friends. It's not so much during the interview. It's the way they go about the search. You know, once again, I touched on this earlier, yeah. you know, the, they, they, they want to build out a, the best team possible. They've got experience of people working for them and being high performers. And so they go into a, it could be a manager search or a rep search. They go into an area and they don't meet the other talent because they're so uh, wrapped up in getting this individual on their team. They refuse to even open their eyes and inter interview other individuals. And so what I really try to coach my clients on is do that. Take the time. Because here's what also happens. A lot of times, if it's a retained search and an executive search firm's involved, then you've got a buffer between you and who that person that you've known for years. And so, but what I see too many times at the contingent level is a person's just assuming that that individual is going to take their offer. So they do no other interviewing. They spend all their time engaged with this one individual. And then unfortunately, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out and they have no one. Right. And then, the, and time is marching on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's the mistake that we see over and over and over again uh, of, of individuals just only hiring people that they've worked with before. Well, it's, it's funny too, because, you know, um, when we've hired folks that we've known or have come from the same industry and we're going to put them in there. And I've made this mistake as well is that you end up, because you're, once again, going back to that relationship business sell is that you bring on some of that business, but then it plateaus, right? And that's really what we're talking about is that you could have an immediate hit in the first six to 12 months, but then after that 12 months, because you're, you've hired these, 
these people with relationships and people that you know, they plateau because they're not going to go call on this doctor because they've already made that connection that they're a no-see-me doctor, so I'm not going to call on them. That's and, exactly right. right. I mean, we're we're working with a company and have been. It's We're very fortunate to be part of this growth, and it's a company that just launched a product in the last 18 months, and, and really, it's probably been the fastest-growing medical device uh, company we've seen in years. Uh, they've hired over 150 reps uh, in the last 18 months. And we've been fortunate enough to help them bring in probably 70 or 80 of those individuals. Sure. What they saw very early on was they were hiring strictly the relationship. And so, and some of those people have done really well, but they had some high turnover in the very early days. And that's when we got involved and we kind of coached them on, you know, you may want to open this up a little bit past that one profile and bring in and talk to other people, you know, with strong surgical sales experience. Uh, I'll leave it at that. And so what they've seen now is probably half of their sales force is kind of the secondary profile and things continue to really take off for them. So uh, we just went through this with a client over the past 18 months. And, uh, and I think for them, uh, they've really, they've really uh, been able to kind of uh, shift away from their initial profile and it's really working well for them. That's great. Uh, Ted, can I, uh, I want to ask you a question about training. Uh, one of the things that I've encountered and we've encountered with, uh, uh, with Jim is trying to take people, uh, companies hire people and assume they have sales experience. They assume they have sales skills. So they just throw product knowledge at them and then maybe do a couple role plays. Do you see some of these startup or mid-sized companies investing in their training systems so that their people are you know, well-trained in not only the product knowledge, but the skills necessary to be successful? I think the best companies are uh, investing heavily in the sales training. I think then that's part of this whole equation about, you know, uh, hiring the up and comer or hiring the person that, you know, has experience, but not all the relationships and, and really bringing those people in and having a, an ongoing uh, training within their culture, just not, you know, the first week, but something that they revisit all the time and having it really being meaningful. I mean, not just, oh, here we go. You know, we got to go back out to you know, wherever and go through another week of training that really isn't going to help us. I think the best companies and the people that I've seen with the most success over the past 25 years are those companies that invest heavily in training. Mm, good. Yeah. You know what? And that goes back to, you know, something that, you know, you've mentioned now a couple of times and with the training piece and the, and the cultural fit is that as a sales rep, right, or professional, whether it's a manager or sales rep, we want to make sure that when we're interviewing with a company and we know what they're going to do. So if they're going to ha invest heavily into training, that means as a sales professional going into that role, into that, if I was lucky enough to get that opportunity, knowing that I am going to be put through a training process that might not be what I'm accustomed to, but I better be open to it because that's the culture of this company. So um, I, I sometimes see when I go through these interview pro interviewing folks is that they, to Charlie's point, they have this relationship sell. They've been good at selling, but we want to do something different. And if there's a resistance there and you can feel it, they're probably not a right fit for that company. It doesn't mean they're a bad sales professional, but this company's going in a different direction and um, in, in how they're going to approach the market. 
And I would imagine, Ted, that you've got to have those uncomfortable conversations with folks that you're talking to just saying, I just don't think it's a fit. Oh, yeah. And that's part of hopefully if, if a company's working with an executive search firm and I really understand your culture. You know, if I'm spending a lot of time with Jim and Charlie, you know, prior to you building your sales force or really getting to know, you know, the people that you really want, hopefully if you're working with an executive search firm, they're going to be engaged as they talk to candidates and really understand, boy, this person probably is not going to be open to change. You know, it's really interesting, you know, when you talk about innovation and, and, and opportunity and the industry involving the people and the individuals who really embrace the change and see it as an opportunity uh, to improve themselves, those are the individuals that are going to be successful as we go forward. And, and so I think it's the role of not only the company to, to look for those individuals that are open to training and open to change, but it's also the role of the executive search firm to really understand the type of people that a company is looking for. You know, Ted, it's it's funny is that we as as I start doing these some of these interviews with Charlie and we're interviewing different types of people, um, not necessarily salespeople, but in the in the healthcare marketplace. Everyone, just like you, continues to reinforce the fact that this healthcare market that we operate in is constantly changing. Right, and it's just part of what we're up against, or we can be a victim of it or we can be a participant within it. And it's interesting because this isn't a setup. You're, you're, you're saying and repeating what Charlie and I and have discussed on the podcast before and with different uh, folks that we've interviewed about the evolution of change and that the individual, the rep ha- and the manager and the VP of sales, whoever it is, has an opportunity to embrace change, to move forward and grow or not. But it's really up to the individual. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it it comes down to, you know, really understanding where the industry is, where it's heading, and how I can prepare myself to be part of it in the future. I mean, let's face it, you know, medical sales, uh, healthcare sales, whether we're talking about, you know, diagnostic testing for a pre-screening product for colon cancer, or we're talking about telemedicine and connectivity devices, or we're talking about point-of-care technology for a diagnosis of concussions, or we're talking about developing new devices for pain management and all the companies that are involved in that. I mean, the opportunity here for people moving forward, I think it's as good as it's been in years, but you got to be ready and you got to prepare and you got to embrace it. And you, the person, has to be ready for the change and really go after it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I love that. Now, if I'm a, I'm a, I'm somebody listening to this podcast, and I want to know, okay, what can I do when we say change? Can you, what in your mind are the top one or three things that you mean by change? And then what can a rep do to prepare for that change? Well, I think, you know, there's there's so much information out there, you know, uh, that people can to subscribe to different uh, types of, uh, uh, you know, uh, what am I looking for? Content sure. uh, that is, is out there every single day, no matter what your specialty is, whether you're in orthopedics or cardiology or, or healthcare software technology or oncology or wherever you are, 
you guys kind of know exactly what information and where it's coming from. And then so I think like most people, you, you kind of got to be out there and be aware of, of, of what's going on. And, and, you know, so too many people, you know, kind of put their head down and, 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 and great. They're focused on their current position. They're really involved in making sure they're successful and driving business and, and winning awards and, and career development. Those things are important. But what I will tell you, when you talk about the change and you talk about the acquisitions and you talk about emerging technology, you can't bury your head. You've got to be aware of where the products are heading, what devices are being introduced, you know, what technology, and where from your career standpoint, where you want to be five years and 10 years down the road. And so, you know, what I always tell individuals, uh, you know, develop a network. Develop a network of people that are engaged in that change. Develop people that understand where the industry's heading, whether they're executive recruiters or other CEOs or VPs of sales, but really develop a network of understanding where things are heading. Because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. That's great. You know, the, the, the thing that uh, Jim and I do, and I, you know, I started in the 90s of dedicating at least five hours a week in research. And you know, I still go by the mantra of if I get one one percent more knowledgeable or better every day, I'm going to be pretty damn good at the end of the year. And I, I find it almost uh, sad that so many salespeople don't ever, you know, Google things that would affect their business, and they they right. just but they stay in this happy uh, ignorance. Well, you know, <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you will, yeah. But you know what, though, I think that was okay. 10 years ago because you didn't have all the information that you have today, right? And and some of us that have been around a long time, we're asking ourselves these questions of, man, this market is changing. Uh, these companies are asking me different types of questions. It's, it's kind of a wake-up call. Get involved, and we've used this term all the time is be a student of your game. So, and Ted, that's what you're saying is that, hey, you might be selling you know spinal implants right now, and you're, you're doing really well. But where is that market headed? Where is orthopedics headed? How is the Affordable Care Act going to impact that? What about ACOs, right? Just not that it's going to necessarily impact you today, but be prepared. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to even take it beyond your, your, your specialty is because, you know, what your specialty is today may not be, quite frankly, we're talking about salespeople, where the best financial opportunity for you is in five years. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and granted, people make great runs, whether if it's in orthopedics or interventional cardiology or robotics or, or wherever those industries have been where, you know, individuals have made a lot of money. But I can tell you right now where you've been and where you're going to be next, the top individuals, the top earners within medical device, they stay on top of that change. And they're not afraid to step away from the relationships they have, they're not afraid if they recognize uh, where the change is heading to jump in. And and those are the people, if, if you talk about bottom line dollars and being a successful sales rep, and that's important to you, is being with the companies where you can earn the most money, you got to stay ahead of it, not just within your specialty. Yeah. Well, that really that really speaks of curiosity. You know, I, I found I found that many successful people that rise through the ranks in med device, you know, biotech, uh, diagnostics, whatever the industry, are really do uh, embrace the uh, 
looking at the future and doing the research that they need to do to prepare themselves for these things. And the people that don't just seem to, to feel, you know, hap, happily rolling along that it's going to stay the way it is for the rest of their, you know, professional life. And nothing does that. <laughs> nothing that I've seen uh, allows people to say, well, I'm going to be in the spine business for the next 30 years because it, you don't know what, as you said, you don't know what's going to happen, what new technologies, what new therapies uh, are going to replace, you know, what you're selling today. And that is on, that's great for the top 20%. I think those people do it all, but we're always concerned about that middle 60%, the people that, you know, may not really connect to that important skill of interacting with people at different levels and having the knowledge to have a, an intelligent conversation. Sometimes I see those are the people that struggle. Well, it's interesting, um, Ted, you, you know, you've given us a, a lot of advice, you know, for, for the audience when about where you're currently at today with your career and when, and what you're really saying is be prepared for that opportunity, even though you may not be looking for it, be prepared and then if you are looking for a job, be prepared, right? And Yeah. I mean, I think that like anything else, you know, when, when companies come to us, they say, hey, listen, you know, uh, we want the best people. Everybody says the same thing, right? Right. So, you know, the difference maker is, you know, in our company, and a lot of executive search firms do this, is we do direct target recruiting. So if, if Jim, if and you've been part of this with me, if you come to me and say, hey, Tad, you know, I'm looking for a, a person in Dallas, uh, we go into Dallas and we identify the top 30 companies uh, that would be a great fit for your company. And so most of those 30 companies and people that we're calling, a lot of them aren't active. They're not candidates that are looking in the marketplace. They've got their heads down. They're top performers. And as you know, those are the people that you want. You want the individuals that really aren't active in the marketplace and all of a sudden they get the call from Ted Koss and they've got this opportunity that's going to take them to the next step from a career standpoint, from a financial standpoint. And so it's very important if, if you're not, if you're happy where you are, still be receptive to those calls. You know, it's, it's so funny because, you know, we'll reach out to people through LinkedIn and I know they're a top performer and, you know, Sometimes you get crickets and you just think to yourself, hey, listen, it's okay. You don't have to call me back. But typically, if, if we're calling you, I recognize kind of the company you're with and, and what the next step for you could be. So I would encourage people to return calls just to stay in tune with where the opportunities, you know, where the top opportunities exist. Yeah, that's that, a good point. That's a great advice. So, you um, know, go ahead, Ted. And I was going to say, and then for the active candidates, you know, sometimes you are being acquired or things aren't working out or, you know, things change. Uh, that's when I would really encourage people to, to really uh, cast their net wide. Sometimes, you know, people will go through a downsizing. They'll have this severance and, you know, I'll call them and I'll say, hey, listen, how's your job search going? And they'll say, well, you know, I really haven't gotten started yet. I've got some things I've been doing, you know, around the house. Yeah. And I, just, I, I get off the phone and I just scratch my head. I'm thinking to myself, that's not the answer. The answer is, you know, you've got to prepare a job search, you know, uh, 
you know, you've got to have a goal in mind. You've got to have a whole process and what that involves. And you've got to work it just like you worked your territory or just like you worked within your company. And you've got to be out there every day networking and getting, you know, your brand out into the marketplace. Because quite frankly, I see too many people sit back and then they get into a situation where they got to take something that doesn't make sense for their career. And that comes back to bite them down the road. Uh, so, you know, if I had to give advice to the non-active and the active candidates, uh, that's kind of what I would be doing. Okay. No, that that's great advice. So if you really take a step back, you're, you're listening to this podcast, we always try to give some advice and some homework to, to leave with. And it's, you know, be a student of your game, read, research, build your network, cast a wide net, and build your network, not just so you can add people to your LinkedIn site, but create a network where you can learn from others so you know what's going on in the field. <clears throat> Stay ahead of the changes just from a knowledge perspective so that you know how to adapt and have those conversations with all the healthcare professionals out there, knowing how all these changes are impacting the way doctors, nurses, all healthcare professionals, administrators, hospitals, ASCs have to make based on this new information. So, no, that's great. It, it just continues to reinforce this. You have to be a student of the game. So, and and coming from from your perspective, not just Charlie and I trying to, uh, you know, and encourage people to always get better every day, you're saying the same thing. You got to get better to keep up with everything that's going on. Now, the one thing I would ask, um, last maybe couple more questions is that when you brought up LinkedIn, what do you find that we as medical sales professionals are lacking in our LinkedIn profiles that make your job harder to find the talent that you need? Well, quite frankly, LinkedIn has become now more important than your resume because if you're the non-active candidate or even if you are the active candidate, the first thing that's going to happen is not only just the recruiters, but the hiring managers, the CEOs, the first place they're going to go to find out about you is going to be LinkedIn. Um, so I think too many people, and it's getting a lot better now, too many people discount what they've got uh, from a branding standpoint for themselves on LinkedIn. You know, either they don't take the time, it's hard to believe most people now have a picture, but you go back five years ago, you know, their people didn't even have a picture of themselves on LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of times people, you know, they really short, short change themselves in regards to, to, to really selling themselves on LinkedIn and, and their accomplishments and what, what they've done and how their career has progressed. So I would encourage, you know, you got people that spend all this time on a resume and they don't spend any time on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is more important and how your profile and how you represented in your resume. That's fascinating. It, we did a we did a podcast with the your exec group and um, with Sue Sarkeesian and Sherry Sullivan, and they're big on um, they're, they're what the value they provide to the medical sales nation is your resume, your bio, but more importantly, your LinkedIn and creating that brand that we have to have this brand image so that those companies that are looking for that specific individual and quality to, to 
build this new sales organization that they're trying to do, they can find you on LinkedIn. So it's once again, it's for the medical sales nation out there listening to this. Listen to what the what these professionals are, are saying that are involved, actively involved in the healthcare market. We're all saying the same things. So so listen, you know, and and think about what you can do today just to get yourself better and prepared for today and tomorrow and over the next five years. So so Ted, I have to ask this question. Okay, so. Um, you must have a ton of hilarious stories on interview candidates that um, have gone in for an interview and somebody's called back and gone, you're not going to believe this, right? You're not going to believe oh. what this person said. Do you have your favorite story? I have one okay. that's pretty good. So, you know, and Charlie, you'll remember this. So years ago, before LinkedIn, before Instagram, before Facebook, you know, really before you know, social media developed, the way that we used to do recruiting and the way that we would set up interviews was, you know, believe it or not, before email, we had fax machines, right? Right. And so I never will forget, uh, we had this candidate, (laughs) we were recruiting, I think, on a position in Philadelphia, and the regional sales manager, and this was a very specialized, high-level medical device product, and uh, so we found this candidate, his name was Chris, can't remember Chris's last name at this point in time, but uh, but he was great. So we refer the resume, and we did a phone interview, refer the resume over, you know. And what happened back then is a lot of the regional managers before they were going to meet Chris, they do a phone interview. So so my manager, my client, they do a phone interview with Chris. Uh, everything goes fantastic, and they say, Hey, listen, Ted, I'm going to be in Philadelphia next week. Let's go ahead and set them up for an interview. So like typically, you know, you put three to five candidates, you know, scheduled for an interview. And so, uh, so that date takes place. And typically, you know, sometimes you hear from back from the client the same day, sometimes the next day. And I never will forget this. It's about 6.30 at night and I get this call from my client and he just can't stop laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? He goes, so Ted, you know, I'm sitting there. It's three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm waiting on Chris. And all of a sudden, uh, this individual comes walking up, uh, this woman comes walking up and says, hey, I'm Chris. I'm here for the interview. Chris was a female. Both of us, through both the phone interviews and, you know, without social media, without LinkedIn, uh, you know, Chris turns out to be this phenomenal woman who ends up getting the job uh, and uh, and is now actually the president and CEO of the company. This is 15 years (laughs) later. but, But I never will forget the fact that both Chris just happened to have a deep voice. (laughs) <laughs> and we don't know. You know, you know, we thought Chris was was a guy and, and, and she turned out to be a phenomenal uh, candidate and until still this day she is now the president and CEO of this company. Oh that's, that's great. Fantastic. That's great. I, I, I'll share with the nation. I think one of the funniest things that happened to me in an interview was at Advanced Bionics and I was in Miami and I was with our regional manager there and we asked the candidate, we said, uh, um, so who who is somebody that you really look up to, a mentor, somebody in your life that you really think um, you want to follow and that you'd like to emulate in your life, career, um, and personal life? And he stands up and he points his fi- arm and finger up into the air and yells, Fidel Castro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. And sits back down with a serious look on his face and I go, 
why, why Fidel Castro? And he goes, look at everybody's been trying to bring this guy down for, and you know, this is 2003, 2004. So, you know, for 30 years and, uh, and he's still going and the country follows him. And I looked at him, I go, I think the country follows him for other reasons than his great, <laughs> his great leadership. So I, I'll, we didn't hire that candidate, but I just thought that was one of the funniest things that ever happened in the middle of a restaurant, by the way. Oh, so, yeah. So crazy things hey, happen. Hey, Jim, I, got, I, got, I have to tell my story real sure. quick. And that, that actually cost me a job. Back in the 80s, I was interviewing with a company and the uh, with two of the executives, and they asked me, who in life uh, do you feel is a, kind of a mentor for you or a person you look up to? And I said, Harry Truman. And I had read a lot about <laughs> Harry Truman. I read McCullough's book. And it, that was before McCullough's book. And obviously... The uh, the fellows were from a different political position <laughs> and right. started challenging me on uh, crooked uh, Harry and what he did back in uh, Missouri. And, and it's just it was hilarious. I knew I blew the job with that reference so yeah, well, yeah. never did that again yeah leave political politics out of your interviewing i oh think is God, uh, yeah. the last piece of advice for the nation so absolutely right so hey ted i i can't thank you enough for being part of the medical sales nation podcast today um i know that the the audience is going to appreciate it they're, they're going to take nuggets from this and run with it and hopefully embrace a couple of them and, and try to improve themselves and get ready for this changing market. Um, what's the best way for people if they want to contact you to get in touch with you? Yeah, our website, uh, you can look it up. It's Buckman, Enox, Koss, and Associates. Uh, that's a, an all-encompassing website. Uh, once again, if you want to reach out to me direct, absolutely, please call me. Uh, my phone number is there as well as I've got 15 or 16 of the best executive uh, recruiters in the industry. Uh, I'm lucky to have them on my team. They've been with me for years. And so no matter what your specialty is, whether if it's biotechnology or pharmaceutical or, or medical device, you know, that's really our focus. And, and we'd love to get to know you and, and would love to help you out. And that's for, awesome. Ted. Yeah, that's a, and for all the companies that may be listening, those VPs of sales, please reach out to Ted. I've worked with him in the past with two of the companies and, that I've been with and started. He's done a phenomenal job. So with that, I want to say thank you again, Ted, very much. And to the nation, until next time, have a great day. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.